Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a very special edition of the Wrestle Talk Podcast. As tonight, we present you the Wrestle Talk Podcast, the best of 2020. And over the next two hours, we will be taking a look back at some of the greatest knockdown, drag out interviews that have taken place this year on the Wrestle Talk Podcast. And we will also look at some of the rock'em, sock'em highlights that you have come to expect from the Wrestle Talk Podcast each and every week. So sit back, relax, and enjoy tonight's special edition of the Wrestle Talk Podcast. Welcome, Wrestle Talk family, to the best of 2020 program. I am here with the man, the myth, the legend, the man that needs no introduction, the night owl, Renee Martinez. What is going on, Renee? Que pasa, que pasa, que pasa, loyal members of the WrestleTalk family. Like my partner in crime, Nightmare Jones, just told you, this is the best of 2020. And Joe, was 2020 a year to remember? Many people would argue that it's a year to remember for all the wrong reasons. But here on the WrestleTalk podcast, man, we were able to work our asses off, keep the momentum going, and I would dare to say that 2020 may have just been our best year to date. What do you think about that, Joey? Yeah, I, I, I would definitely agree. 2020, right, has been one heck of a year. It has been an amazing year for the WrestleTalk podcast. You are definitely not wrong with that, sir. Well, and in this episode, guys, you heard the new introduction, the wonderful ring announcer from the Northeast, Hank Hudson, who we talked to back in June, was nice enough to work with our creative department and put together that incredible introduction. Jonesy, how did you feel about that, bro? That was freaking spectacular, wasn't it? Uh, Absolutely, and you wouldn't expect anything less from a man as great as Hank Hudson. Like, man... What a freaking dude. That's freaking awesome. Well, you know, we can't do the best of 2020 without doing what we always do. And you know what that is, Renee. You know what it is. Oh, I'm ready to remove my cap. my eye every single time. I'm ready to remove my cap, brother, and put my hand over my heart. What to do, baby. Let's do this. Remove your cap. Put your hands over your heart as we pay homage to the greatest country on God's green earth. That's America, damn it. Oh, oh, say can you see and the rocket now for the land of the free there's a tear in my eye every single time now Renee why don't you say that we go ahead and bring out the first clip that we're going to bring of our amazing 2020 year where we bring it all the way back to episode 280 back in January well, we got to talk to Impact Wrestling's one and only Mad Man Fulton. Um, I I actually love my start with Jimmy Lee. Uh, I started with him in 2010. 
uh, I was actually still wrestling in college. So it was against the rules uh, for me to be training on a pro level, actually. So I had to, it was very secretive. I, would, I was actually going after my wrestling practices in college and kind of keeping it under wraps for a while. Um, but Jimmy Lee, Jimmy Lee's been around for a long time. He's a very, very old school trainer. Um, our, our gym, ASWA, was started by uh, a man named Charlie Fulton, who's who's highly revered as you know. He's always he's done a lot of traveling traveling with the WWF as well as the WWF, uh, even wrestling the Rock's grandpa at Madison Square Garden. Uh, Jimmy was trained by him, and has just passed down like a lot of that the old school technique and like the old school respect for the sport. Um, to me and it's been huge in my career like I owe a lot of what I've been able to do in my life to the guidance he's given me early on you know and especially you know if you're if you're an Ohio guy and you're listening and you have a chance to just travel around like he's definitely a guy you want to learn from just like to if it's anything to learn that real old school mentality about just handling it like you used to <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Renee, why don't you come in with other, with other, with other questions that you have, sir? Uh, Josie, man, those were some great uh, great questions to kick us off. And, and I'll tell you what, man, I, I'm particularly excited about this interview because, uh, Madman, you're one of those guys that I had the pleasure uh, of seeing originally uh, over at NXT. And, and even then, uh, you can tell when the guys got a lot of potential, but maybe just needs the right canvas. And I think the same could be said for Sammy. We all remember the Solomon Crow character. I'm sure some people wish they didn't. <laughs> but that's what happens when you try to take something out of the box and stick it in a box. And I guess I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about a moment that people are still talking about months and months later, and that's when you debuted in Impact and came out and I thought you killed Rich Swan, bro. Like, I, I don't know how you guys did that choke spot where he went, like, 18 feet in the air. But it was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen. Uh, and uh, it's, it's great. It's to- actually, the secret, the secret is I'm really fucking strong. Oh, I'm freaking. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my bad. Oh, yeah, by the way, <laughs> that, that, it's just the coolest thing. What was that moment like for you after everything that you had gone through leading up to that debut? Did it kind of feel like you were like, you know, dirtying up a rag, you know, or like, was it that sort of moment where you were back with family in a place that really sees you for what you are and sees all the ability and talent that you have outside of you just being a big guy? How big was that for you? Because just watching it on TV, it felt like a big moment, not for you just professionally, but also personally. Um, yeah, actually there's, there's, there's definitely a lot of emotion that goes into that, that re-debut on impact. Um, when I, when I got into NXT, I was 22 years old and I was just looking for every little bit of help I could get. And eventually you get pulled so many directions and you try to check so many boxes for so many different coaches, you get lost in that shuffle. Um, <clears throat> a lot of people ask me about my time in NXT and, and being like, go from there. But honestly, like 
I don't know if I would ever have risen to the level I am had they not let me go. One thing about NXT that happens is you become, I don't want to say you become complacent, but you, you, you get used to that paycheck coming in every single week. And you're trying and you're working your hardest, but that's also a place where working hard doesn't necessarily mean you're going to move forward, do any better. Um, so, so when they, when they let me go and, and all of a sudden you're not in that safety bubble of that check every single week, you learn, man, you learn how to fight, you learn how to scrap, you learn what it takes to, to rise back to that level. Um, I moved back to Ohio. I I spent all my savings on on buying a place and moving back up. I went from being all right to completely broke without a job and and you know two hours still two hours away from my family, and it's kill or be killed at that moment. And it's work and it's work and it's just put your head down and try and try and try and try. So when that when that moment finally came, like when I was finally offered that contract and I was finally given that, that chance to debut, it's, it's a moment of... Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, on the best of 2020 edition of the Wrestle Talk podcast. And we have had so many amazing guests so far in 2020. And some of them are from multiple halls of fame as well. I mean, we have ones from the Midwest Independent Wrestling Hall of Fame and the Independent St. Louis Wrestling Hall of Fame. Uh, and just to give you some and, of those names. And oh boy. we oh had boy. Drake Lee on the Wrestle Talk podcast, you know, before I even became, you know, host of the show. I guess a co-host is the official word. But, but it's okay, Jeremy. Keep going. You're doing a hell of a job. No, no, you, you go right ahead and say your part. I mean, I know we had to get you in here eventually. I mean, it is the best of show, and I'll be the first to admit, I don't know if the others would admit it, but I'll be the first to admit, we cannot have a best of 2020 show on the Wrestle Talk podcast without you on it, Drake. I'll, I'll even go there and admit it. Yeah, that's right. I appreciate that. So finally, you're talking some sense now. But, I mean, let's talk about this. We had Herb Simmons on. I mean, we had him on multiple times, but the the interview that just took me away was, was the one we had this year, and you were a part of it, and we had this great conversation, and I can't wait to hear some of that. I can't wait to hear uh, from the the Hall of Famers, because they have so much knowledge, and it just shows how much knowledge of professional wrestling is in this area, right, Jeremy? Oh, you are absolutely correct. I mean, the Herb Simmons interview might have just been my favorite interview of the entire 2020, especially for me, since I became a part of the program as a permanent co-host. But, you know, you know as well as I do that Herb Simmons wasn't just the only Hall of Famer we've had on this show. We've had John Blackheart, we've had Al Stevens, we've had Attila Khan, and from the St. Louis Hall of Fame, we had big-time Jim Harris. Yeah, I mean, it's just incredible, Jeremy. It's just incredible. I mean, and, you know, like I said, you know, we had Drake Lee on the show, too, a couple of times. But that, okay. regardless of that, we got to take it away. we got to give them this time because one of the most exciting parts of this year was those string of interviews. So take it away, Jeremy. Send us into this clip. Okay, so, ladies and gentlemen, the one we are going to take you into now is from the Midwest Independent Wrestling Hall of Fame. And 
We are also going to include clips from the independent oh, St. Louis Wrestling Hall of Fame as well. Wow. That's crazy. That's, whew. I mean, you know, that, that, that's kind of how, how I broke into the wrestling business. You know, I've always been a fan, and, and uh, 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 one of the, the guys that I know saw me at the wrestling shows, and he asked me if I was interested, and next thing you know, here I am as a referee. So, you know, it's, 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 it's definitely a, a, a great, 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 great thing. So, um, I guess that 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 one some that some of the the the, the big questions, and I'm going to throw it back to uh, Renee. Is um, how did you start the Midwest Independent Wrestling Hall of Fame? Well, I actually started a few years ago. Um, I wanted to honor a couple of people that really I thought deserved it. Um, so back in 2015, uh, we started with one guy, one honoree, and uh, that was the searcher. And he was our first inductee, class all to himself. Um, and we were just trying to, you know, we were just going to do one guy a year. And then, you know, we started talking, and, and you know, I had to talk, you know, searcher and... and and some other guys that are that are now on the board, and, and we we kind of started brainstorming, and we're like, hey, you know what? This is we've got a good thing going. Let's honor, let's honor everybody. Let let's get the guys that did the time putting up the ring, paid their dues, spent the majority of their career, you know, in, in the St. Louis area, here here throughout the Midwest, and, and you know, those guys don't get on it. You know, you hear the Hogans and the Flares and, you know, all the big boys that make it to the WWE. What about the guys that don't make it to the WWE but deserve it? And we've been going ever since. <laughs> now, that is, is 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 a great reason, you know, to, to, to start the uh, uh, Hall of Fame, and, you know, I'm sure that every person that's been inducted has been honored to be in, inducted into the uh, Midwest Independent Wrestling Hall of Fame. Uh, Renee, why don't you come in here with, the, with, with whatever questions that you have, because I know you've been chomping at the bit, so. Well, well I have, and I have to be honest, um, you know, when we were talking about, when we were talking to her about it, I just kept thinking, I'm like, okay, i got to make sure that you know, I've saved some of this energy uh, for Xavier Frost because, you know, 20 years, 20 years, a guy such as yourself could very well be one of the inductees into the Midwest Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. And, and I think it's so important that that avenue exists. Whether it happens or it doesn't happen, there are so many outstanding talents that have not just come out of the St. Louis area. Now we're starting to see a little bit more of it in Kansas City, Central Missouri, out in Kansas as well, Oklahoma. I mean, and the list goes on and on. So there had to come a time where somebody took the initiative to do this, and I'm very happy that it was you and the members of the board, uh, Xavier, because we need it. 
uh, here on the Wrestle Talk podcast, and, and Joe's out in West Virginia, so we do our fair share of coverage of East Coast, West Coast, national, international. But at the end of the day, yours truly is based here in KC. So I think that an entity such as the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame for the Midwest has to exist because there are so many people that have contributed to this business that won't ever be, like you said, in the WWE Hall of Fame. So do me a favor, and we'll talk a little bit about, more about you here in just a moment. Tell us a little bit more about some of the people that have been inducted, besides Searcher, since you guys started uh, the Midwest Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. Well, first of all, I just want to say you're 100% correct. I mean, there are so many people that deserve the honor that year after year, you know, we'll we'll get together and we'll vote and we'll get our final list of guys that come in and then we go, oh, crap, we forgot this guy, you know, or this guy. <laughs> you know, sh- this guy should have been in years ago. You know, what are we thinking? Uh there's just so many people that deserve that honor. I mean, here we are. It's you know we started two thousand the class of two thousand fifteen, and now we're on the this year will be the class of two thousand nineteen that we're inducting here on February first. And you know guys like Herb, you know Herb Simmons is going in now. Um, he, arguably, he could have been one of the first classes. You know, so it's just I just want to let everybody know. For all you guys out there listening that are putting in the time and the effort and and, and doing the work, we're going to get to you. Now, Jim, I want to sit here for just a minute. You talk about uh, the first class of the Hall of Fame, Tony Costa, Herb Simmons, the second class, Danny Boy, Big Daddy, the Giant Assassin, Keith Smith, Ron, uh, Rob Phillips, Cora Combs, and, and Joe has already made mention to the upcoming class here, uh, this, this third class of the independent uh, St. Louis Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. Uh, my question to you is this, and I'm going to look at it because with having as much experience as you do, we've already talked about Randy Orton. I want to take a second here, and this may show my age a little bit in, in the wrestling uh, community as well, but what would you say, and, and I, I know you talked earlier about Ed Smith. You talked about a member of the Hall of Fame, Keith Smith. I've got to ask you, what is it like for you being around professional wrestling as long as you can, as long as you have been, and now seeing uh, a man who is kind of considered to be your mentor, a man that you uh, refereed many of his in-ring wars, that being Keith Smith, and now Mm -hmm. seeing Keith Smith Jr., a third generation in this very area, stepping inside the squared circle. What is it what is the feeling that you get seeing these long-time, long lineages in professional wrestling here in the St. Louis area? Well, you know, and that's something we love to see. I love seeing generations because that means the old school uh, warriors, as they call themselves, so, you know, Keith and uh, uh, call himself those part of the old school warriors. And uh, the thing was that you're passing that legacy down and you you're hoping that that generation learns and carries that legacy because we have so much history, so much out there that's been ignored that uh, a lot of these young kids, they watch the wrestling TV, but they don't understand the history of wrestling. They don't understand the legacy that's being left from these legends that are now leaving us. Uh, and to, and I watched little Keith grow up. That was the whole thing. He grew up with my kids and, and to watch him grow up and then come into the referee field and then into the wrestling world, 
uh, it's just amazing to watch them grow and see how well they're uh, progressing and how well they're listening and they're learning because you can only watch so much TV. you got to get out there and learn how to do things. And, and a lot of these kids don't know the basic psychology of wrestling. They don't understand the legacy of the wrestling. They they couldn't even give me a five-minute match without touching the rope. You know, that was the rule back in the day. Give me a five-minute match, don't touch the rope, and I'll be impressed. And they don't understand those things, and that's part of what we talk about, the old-school uh, training, the old-school understanding. Uh, we we didn't have to do a whole lot of talking on TV and stuff. We did our talking in a ring. We could show the people more than we could tell them, you know. Uh, and a lot of that is missing now. I, I feel like a lot of that's missing. And to have guys like Keith Smith Jr. carrying the legacy over, uh, a lot of the guys, kids are coming from the old school, and you're seeing them grow up. Uh, you see it with Frankie D, his daughter's coming up through the system, you know. I, I watched a lot of these kids grow up into the system, you know. Uh, and if they carry that legacy and keep that old school at, in their heart and carry it with them everywhere they go, wrestling would be great. Uh, but if you if you forget your legacy, forget where it all started, where it came from, and those names and those people, we're, we're losing a great part of what wrestling was all about and is still about to me in my heart. Uh, to watch, again, these kids grow up in that atmosphere and learn from guys like Cowboy Bob Orton, who's doing a school over at Illinois, uh, and go learn from those guys, learn from those warriors before they're gone because uh, that legacy, you, you're going to want to know, you want to train, you want to understand. And to watch it, the kids bring it up, I mean, brings joy to me to see that that legacy is being carried on. And to, to see it is amazing. This is the Fighting for Autism United States Champion, the Artiste, formerly known as Lockie. And you are listening to the Wrestle Talk podcast, best of 2020. Way to want to, you know, call, you know, and kind of ruin all of our fun and ruin, you know, kind of just took money out of my pocket and out of all the women pockets and ruined all of our booking. So it's just, and not just that booking, but also Paradigm Pro Wrestling's booking too. But I mean, they have a new place as well. So that's good. Well, you know, the 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 Hall of Fame of Iron Sheik heard about what had happened, and this was his response to somebody being a a petty asshole and calling in and getting the the show canceled. Fucking bullshit! <laughs> Wait, Iron Sheik legit, had- like, legit said that. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, he, uh, he probably did say that. They're they're jabronis, a bunch of jabronis. Exactly, a bunch of jabronis. Now, my last question um, is: You were, were working with uh, a good friend of ours, uh, John Cosper, and you 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 helped you create a a a horror slash comedy show called. Escape from VHS Hell. Can you tell us about doing this this uh, a comedy show with John Cosper? I'm going to be honest. I didn't even read the book. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I read the book completely. <laughs> I read the book completely. <laughs> um, yeah, it, I mean, it's selling so much. Fans are coming up, buying it like crazy. They're telling me how much they love it, how much they couldn't put it down. 
And I just appreciate John going out of his way to write and, you know, create this book for me and kind of, you know, creating a story be- behind me and Masuku and how I was just, you know, an innocent girl just wanted to be a wrestler to being this maniac, psycho, escape from death, you know, escape from death row and all of this. And just, it's an amazing book. And I really appreciate John for doing that for me. Absolutely. All right. Well, I am going to go ahead and throw it back to uh, Luke Roberts because, you know, he's, he's, I'm sure he has a bunch more questions. So Luke, uh, go ahead with whatever questions that you have, sir. Well, thank you very much, Joan. Like I said, once again, the Russell Top Podcast has Maniac Charlie Cool right here on the program, 657-383-1521. Make it a point to give us a call to interact with us. You can also interact with us on Facebook, on Twitter, RussellTopPodcast.com. And, and Charlie, I'm going to kind of kind of change things up a little bit. I was going back and I was looking into your career, and, I mean, you've been at countless promotions. You talked about Paradigm Pro, but I want to talk about uh, a couple of the competitors that you've been inside the ring with, a couple of people that are very familiar, not just to professional wrestling fans, but to listeners of the Wrestle Talk podcast. And one of them, uh, we had an opportunity right at the tail end of the year, starting as we go into the year 2020, uh, to have here on the Wrestle Talk podcast. And I know you had countless matches against this individual. What can you tell me about your rivalry, your in-ring competition with one Billy Stark? With Billy? Oh, my gosh. I think um, early 2019 was the last time we, like, kind of, you know, parted ways with that feud. Um, It's actually been one of my favorite feuds I've ever had, honestly, because, you know, she came into Grindhouse – so I've always been, I don't know if people, like, there's a lot of people that should know this, is um, I've always been the only female at Grindhouse. I was the first, pretty much the first female student at Grindhouse. I was the first female graduate of Grindhouse, you know. I was the first one to wrestle at Grindhouse as a female. And she came in, and that's when I was like, yeah, this will be fun. More females than I started seeing. You know, the attention she was getting and the opportunity and all of this. And then I was like, okay. I need to put a stop to this. And that's when the feud kind of began. And it was very, I mean, we we pretty much tried to rip our heads off. It was an amazing feud from start to finish. It's definitely been one of, one of my favorite feuds. I have nothing but much respect for Billy. And I'm glad that we were able to have that feud and have, you know, that experience with each other. Because, you know, we both got something out of that. I think I was her real, her first real feud that she ever really had. And she's definitely been my favorite, so... Well, like I said, we had the opportunity to speak with uh, Billy Starks a little while ago here on the Russell Talk podcast, and, and again, I, I personally have had an opportunity to see just a little bit of the footage, and i got to tell you, if you haven't had a chance to go on to things like YouTube and catch out a match between Charlie Cruel. Oh, man, so much has been new. Uh, after NWL closed, I uh, moved to Baltimore, Maryland. I decided I needed to move somewhere where I'd never been before. I thought the Mile High Magnum's for real. I can go anywhere and make it work. And so uh, I moved to Baltimore. I didn't know anybody in wrestling here. I had to just go off my ability alone. And uh, it seems like that was the right decision. I won the uh, Ring of Honor Top Prospect Tournament in Vegas this year. On uh, Saturday in uh, St. Charles, Missouri, I faced Dragon Lee for the Ring of Honor World Television title. So... uh, Things have been up and up in uh, Dak Draper's world. 
How are you guys That's been? real. I've been absolutely awesome. And, you know, now that I know that you are in Baltimore, that is only like 30, min- like 30 minutes away from where I live. So I'm going to have to make my way up to a uh, Maryland Championship Wrestling show sometime so I can see you wrestle once again. Oh, you're going to have to. Uh, MCW puts on a great show. They had uh, Kurt Angle there at the, on uh, Saturday. There were about 1,000 people there. It was phenomenal. You there? Yeah. I am here. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. But you <laughs> must go ahead and, and continue, sir. Something must, 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 must have happened. Go ahead and, and continue. Oh, Talk yeah. about MCW. Oh, I was just... I was just saying that uh, MCW has a, they have a great operation there. Their school has uh, put several guys into Ring of Honor, NXT, uh, onto WWE television. Um, but uh, if you're in the Maryland area, I de- definitely recommend checking out MCW. Yeah, the last show had like a thousand people at it. It was great. Exactly. Um, one of my uh, guys that that I actually grew up with. Uh, in, in, in wrestling, I saw him wrestle many, many times. There's a guy by the name of uh, uh, Brandon Scott. Maybe you've heard of him. <laughs> I wrestled Brandon That's Scott on Saturday. <laughs> Brandon, Brandon Scott has a uh, black and blue ear from me. Well, folks, hasn't this just been the best show that Wrestle Talk Podcast has put out there this year? Because it's summing up while each day this year we've been building a bigger and brighter future for this show i mean we brought drake lee on that's just the first step right but in all seriousness guys every day this year wrestle talk has been building and we're taking a look back at some of the best interviews that we've had this year we've had charlie cruel just a little bit ago and the mile high magnum himself dak draper on the show and folks it doesn't get much better than that i mean i'm still a little mad at jeremy because i think he took off the segment where it was my, you know, the, the time I was on the show a couple, you know, a couple of times this year was like the highest rated show. Well, we're moving on. But let's, let's talk about something, though, real quick, because it's very rare when, when Drake Lee gets a little serious. But in all reality, 2020 has been a terrible year. We've lost a lot of lives, both in our families um, and the public and people we've grown up watching on television and movies. And wrestling wasn't held in a separate category from, from that, unfortunately, this year. We had on earlier the one and only Tracy Smothers, who was in the emergency room at the hospital doing this show. And even though we lost a legend, the attitude that he had about doing the show and making sure he could produce and put on the best content possible for you guys, because he held a commitment, not just to Russell Talk, but to the ones listening, that he'd be on. And that attitude, that determination, just sums up how great of a human being Tracy Smothers was. And fun fact, because, you know, I'm a little bit of a heritage guy myself. I'll always remember Tracy for being in the FBI or full-blooded Italians in ECW in the 90s. But right now, let's take a look back as we listen to the wild-eyed Southern boy, Tracy Smothers, on the Russell Talk podcast. And, and, and Tracy, I, I have to turn to you and ask you this. Uh, I know that you're making an asserted effort, even as you find yourself in the hospital today, to make sure that your yeah. fans can continue to connect with you. I mean, by all means, you could take and turn off your cell phone 
and address your own uh, uh, um, health concerns, and nobody would begrudge you for it, but you have this connection with the fans where you want them to know what's going on with you because you know that they care and, and they know that you care about them. What prompts this connection with your audience? And not when I say audience, I don't mean just the fans. There are a lot of workers who love and respect you so, so much. So my question is, where did that spawn from? Where where did that connection come from? Was it something that has been inside you from an early age where you love to have that connection, or is it something that's developed through time? I guess a little bit of both. I, I don't know. Um, I, when I, I knew nothing about writing a book or, or any of that, and uh, my friend who I dedicated the book to, Tim Dennison, good friend of mine, he's a lawyer. He actually got me out of some trouble, <laughs> but uh, I've known him a long time. And he gave me the best advice on uh, on this with the book. And he said, you know, your childhood, of course, growing up, and then once you you got in the business, you know, year by year, you know what I mean? You know, meditate on it, think about it, and try to, do, you know, just jot down some notes and stuff and do. And, and then you go back and look back on, on, on things and just everything that you've been through and everything that you, uh, you know, uh, dealt with and, and traveling and lived, you know, experiences that you never would do, and traveling all over the world. And uh, I worked for about every major company, got let go from about all of them at least once. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we got to be around a lot of guys that you knew had it and were really good and I always like the teaching and coaching part. I always wanted to be a coach. I was my family and friends and everybody uh, wanted to graduate college and come back and coach football, wrestling, you know what I mean, things like that. And I, of course, ended up doing, you know, the business and my family's still mad at me about that, but uh, um, but just always like helping guys because I remember some would help you when you started and some wouldn't, and you always remember the ones that did. So I just always try to give back and always had a lot of fun doing it, you know. And uh, uh, you know, because I was can remember you know being a young man and on the road and you know and and from a small town, I was a country boy, and uh, uh, you know and, and things like that and. Uh, uh, you know, and you put yourself in their place and, and did, but uh, but I always like you know helping guys learn how to do it and doing seminars and you know things like that, helping behind the scenes where we could help them with, and still do you know uh, you know um, and, and and since I've had, you know, I got diagnosed with cancer in the middle of November and I probably had it for a while uh, before that I didn't know it just trying to tough it out, but more people reach out because they all have can. Uh, relate to it, either have a family member or, uh, you know, someone, you know, mom, dad, either that or, mom, you know, relative of some type, good friends, and they all live it too, and it just uh, opens up to, uh, you know, uh, it's you, you learn to not take things for granted, and, uh, you know, and uh, uh, a lot of times, a lot of this book that we, we did, uh, I was in the hospital, either that or I was home between treatments and, and uh, the chemo when i do chemo i have to do it 24 7 because of my heart i've lost 40 i had a heart attack somewhere in there that i didn't even know it and uh um, you know and i've lost 45 percent of use of my heart so they had to hook me up to chemo 24 7 and do it slow and around the clock for like monday through saturdays and i probably forgot a lot of things and left out a lot of people i should have talked about uh in, in the book because i was so whacked out and they had me just shot up with everything in the world and of course chemo on you you know all the ivs and 
every medicine pills and all my god you know uh but uh and like you know i thought i was out of the woods i've been out of last thing of chemo oh gosh john what about five weeks and then it hit me uh the last couple of days uh got you know a little fluid on my on my heart or i'm sorry on my lungs so uh they had to give me those water pills and then i, I peed like a million times and on IVs and all, and hoping to get out of here in two or three days, and I hope I never see this place again, you know. But uh, I'm, my cancer's in remission. I had uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer, and it's the hardest thing I've ever been through. I mean, it's rough. There was nights when I couldn't talk, and then I, and a lot of times what kept me going was just I'd be in the hospital. I didn't know that John and I were going to you know, do the audio and uh, work on the book, but Tim gave me great advice going year to year. But uh, I think I could have done a better job if I had my senses, and I still don't have them all the way. I don't think I ever will between licks of the head and this. But uh, it's it's been a rough road. But uh, uh, you know, it's just great. I'm just thankful to be alive. To tell you the truth, I really am. So it was my plan to start Girl Fight, where we could not only bring in top-notch girls for Sarah to wrestle and learn from but also to network and become friends with. That way she could, uh, you know, skyrocket her career real fast, which did happen. She, she, in her fifth and sixth year, she was been to Japan, Mexico, Scotland, Germany, Mm -hmm. England. Um, In her fifth, sixth year, she was on NXT, Raw, and SmackDown, you know, and then people people used to say that we're doing things wrong, but she's proof that we was doing things right. But as soon as she got what she wanted, she found somebody else, and she can go fuck herself for all I care. But uh, you got to admit, it did work out just the way that we thought it was going to, and that's why Girl Fight started. Then when she left to go to the WWE, we kept, some of the girls was like, Pondo, whatever you do, don't close the company. We'll work hard and all this. And uh, Sue Young was one of the main ones that said, hey, you know, you're helping girls. And that's kind of that's what it was all about. We would bring in still top-notch girls and, we would put them versus the newer girls like Billy Starks and Ella and Alice Crowley. You know, we put Alice Crowley versus uh, Angelina Love. And then we put Billy Starks versus not only Sue Young, but Jordan Jordan Grace, you know. All the girls were making me really proud, but there in the end, there was a few who would say that they were all about girl fight, but they wouldn't advertise for girl fight. And it was advertising for other companies and putting them over huge and not girl fight and saying, Hey, this promotion's having a show, but really not tell me about it that way. You know, they can do what they wanted, but, uh, the true blue ones like Mickey knuckles and, and, uh, you know, just countless others. Girl Fight's still here, but we just don't have a place to go like every other wrestling promotion. So as soon as this stuff all dies and and stops being crazy out in the world, Girl Fight will return. 
Absolutely. Um, I, I cannot wait. I myself found out about Girl Fight Wrestling from uh, a YouTube. Uh, I happen to, to like Deathmatch Wrestling, and uh, there was a YouTube video in June of uh, 2018. Girl Fight Wrestling uh, did a show with uh, Chicago's Resistance Wrestling, and they put on an eight-woman uh, Deathmatch tournament. Can, can you tell us about putting on that Deathmatch tournament? We put one on in 2018, and we put one on mm-hmm. in 2019. Uh, it's called the Death Becomes Her Tournament, which we mm-hmm. did in 2018, and then we did Death Becomes Her 2. 2019, we were untouched. We was undisputed, the best women's death match, eight women tournament that you could have saw in 2019. Of course, there wasn't another one in 2019, but that... Beside the point, that doesn't mean a thing. We were the best. Girl Fight had put on the best all-girls deathmatch tournament in 2019. And now that we had the success of the two, now I hear there's some shit promoter in this area who's going to start doing his own, which uh, he quit doing them because they wasn't drawing. But anyway, uh, the first one, what the the winner that went all the way through was Mickey Knuckles. The mm-hmm. second one was uh, Randy West. But there were other deathmatch girl stars in there. There was Jules Malone. There was uh, mm-hmm. uh, um, Help Me Out. There was Rebecca Payne. Uh, Nina, yeah, Rebecca Payne, Nina Monet. I mean, you know, we just had eight girls that was... Uh, we had Maria Manic. We had eight mm-hmm. girls that couldn't wait to... Uh, show the guys that they could do it too and now we have two DVDs available of Death Becomes Her and Death Becomes Her 2 put on by Resistance Pro and Girl Fight. Awesome, awesome. I'm going to have to uh, take a look for the uh, the uh, the uh, other one. Renee, why don't you come in here with whatever questions that you have because I know you've been chopping at the bit because last time you didn't get to talk to Madman Pondo. Let me think, yeah. And, and as you're saying this, I'm sitting in my basement. I'm looking at a singlet of his on the wall that his son gave me. Uh, super cool. It's the same singlet that's on the, on the book. It just says Vader time. And I got to hang on my wall here. So, like, something else for you to mark out to and be jealous of. <laughs> super that's cool. sick, bro. Um, that's so sick. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, so, like, uh, well, at least for the phone calls and stuff, we, we man, we would talk for hours. We would just sit and talk and talk and uh I guess this is a funny story uh, for you. Uh, he had, you know, he never got into the Hall of Fame um, just because that's what WWE does. If they know you want it, they hold it out of your, you know, a little bit out of your reach and, uh, you know, make you grovel for it a little bit, you know. And I think that's what they were doing to him at the time because he kind of wanted it. Because he, you know, he, uh, he competed in a Super Bowl. He had a Super Bowl ring. Uh, and he figured the Hall of Fame would be like the next feather in his hat to really show uh, that he did something great in wrestling, you know. Um, so they did let him induct Stan Hansen in the ring. You all remember Stan Hansen? Uh, mm-hmm. He wrestled, uh, Stan Hansen wrestled for All Japan. He wrestled for Baba quite a bit while Vader was wrestling in New Japan. So they were on opposite, uh, you know, um, playing fields. But once in a while they would cross over. And as you will recall, perhaps, um, everyone remembers that uh, the reason Vader got noticed was it Van Hansen? I uh, was Stan, Van Hansen. Stan Hansen popped him in the eye and pretty much knocked <laughs> his eyeball out of his head. 
you ever see that? Yeah. You, you guys ever see that clip? Yeah. 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 So I'm talking to him on, on the on the phone and uh he's telling me he's inducting him and he's like, you know, and uh he's like, I wanna stand out and I'm like, Well the, I think the best way you can stand out is you gotta do something visual. And he's like, I don't know and I'm like, You remember uh Kurt Angle, he took the milk and he held it up over his head and poured the milk over his head when he when he was inducted and you know um, any moment where somebody does something visual, I said to him that they can replay in the credits is going to be remembered. You know, it's much like in a wrestling match. You remember funny spots in a match, or, you know, or gimmick spots in a match. Uh, Edge at WrestleMania going through a, a table with 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 fire and thumbtacks, you know they're going to show that again, and they're going to play it over and over again. He agreed. He was like, yeah, man, you're right. It's like, we got to do something visual. So I'm like, we should do something with the eye and make it funny. And he's like, ah, I don't know how to make that funny. And he's like, that, that freaking hurt. <laughs> I'm like, well, uh, how about this? I'm like, what if we get those slinky glasses and we, uh, you know what I'm talking about, the slinky glasses, the eyeballs, the eyeballs in them? Yeah. Yes, yes, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, let's get a pair of those, and we'll take one of the, the eyeballs out. So it just looks like regular glasses, and you put it in your coat, and you say you're about to read something or what have you for Stan Hansen. Hold on a second. Let me get my glasses out. And then you put them on, and an eye pops out of your head. Now, the people that get that will crack up. Now, some people won't, but the people that will will crack up, and they'll be your visual moment. He's like, oh, man, I don't know. You know, and now I'm selling this to a guy didn't really do comedy <laughs> you know and he's like uh you know he's known for beating ass and you know just being brutal and he laughed he, it, it sounded like this on the other side of the phone he's like oh <laughs> he's like where the fuck are we gonna get one of those pair of classes <laughs> so i started looking man he had a week uh a week or so until you know uh the induction was gonna happen and i'm looking on ebay and i finally find it and it is a red pair of glasses and I had it FedEx to his house fast, and he, he did it. And so that was my first writing for WWE, I guess. <laughs> you want know to say? Uh, well, I'm watching it, and he's, he's kind of saying a lot of stuff I wrote for him in the speech. And I'm like, this is awesome, but nobody knows, you know. This is awesome. And then finally, he, I'm like, oh, let's see if he does it. And he reaches in his jacket, and there it is, the glasses, he pops them on, and, and I popped. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, to the Wrestle Talk Podcast Best of 2020 Special. I am the maestro Jeremy Carp, and the interviews you had just listened to were from Wrestling Bookmarks representative Kenny Casanova, as well as an interview with Madman Pondo. Both interviews I had enjoyed greatly listening to earlier this year. And let me tell you something, folks. Those interviews and every other interview we've done could not have been possible without you the fans, and the sponsors. And one sponsor I want to give a big shout-out to is Esports Bar KC. And it's because of the sponsors like Esports Bar KC, it's because of fans like all of you tuning in that make the Wrestle Talk podcast keep on going strong. We have reached the 300-episode plateau and counting, and we could not be any more thankful for all of you. And one big pleasure we have had was back when we celebrated our 300th episode, and we had the great honor of interviewing PCO. And that is the clip we are going to hear very shortly. Let me hear whatever questions that you have, because I know you have a bunch of questions. 
Oh, dude, I absolutely do. And PCO, man, what an honor it is to have you on the show. Uh, I believe you're now on your third decade of kicking ass and taking names in the world of professional wrestling. That sort of longevity, my friend, is something that we can applaud, especially here tonight on episode 300 of the Wrestle Talk podcast, man. Thank you so much for making time for us. Oh, wow, that's awesome. I'm happy to be part of it. 300. That's that's great. Oh, man, you know, it's, it's a real... on that. Thank, thank you, brother. Thank you. And, and just in your honor, I'm actually wearing my Toronto Blue Jays ball cap with a big old maple leaf right on the cover, man. So anybody who's watching us knows <laughs> I'm wearing it, so that's because I got love for PCO. How about that? <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Thank you. I'm glad you like it. Well, I'm, I'm glad you like it. Well, let me get right into the questions. I actually have two separate people that will have their own questions. We've already vetted these people, no weirdos, so you don't have to worry about that, PCO. But I'm going to get mine in first. Because I am a Latino, I was very interested when I was doing my homework to see that you've not only worked inside the United States, but you've also worked outside of the United States, talking about professions like, I'm sorry, promotions like, IWA Puerto Rico, and also All Japan Pro Wrestling. Can you give us a quick idea of what the difference is working outside of the United States and Canada and then working inside the United States and Canada? Well, I I did a lot outside of the States and Canada. I did uh, a lot in Germany and England as well. But Puerto Rico uh, is something very unique and special. It's very different than Mexico, like from what I've heard. Like I've been there, I've watched Lucha Libre over there. I've wrestled with a lot of guys on Lucha Libre or like guys like Rouge and uh you know, Dragon Lee, Bandito. But Puerto Rico, uh I mainly I've wrestled Carlos Colon on my first thing that was in nineteen ninety two. So Carlos Colon and Vader, Jose Gonzalez. They were the two guys that I wrestled most of the time on the main event. And when I got back there in 2005, I wrestled uh, Ricky Banderas, Lil Lil Muertes, uh, many, 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 many times. And I actually, I won the uh, Intercontinental Belt from him there in Puerto Rico. And uh, we feuded, like, for almost six months. So, uh Stadiums were full, you know, 12,000 people in different stadiums. Uh, Bayamon was a good TV taping place in Puerto Rico where we had like four or 5,000 people or was always full for the TV tapings. And uh, over there, like, uh, it's very violent, you know. Uh, there's, there's, there's really, uh, when you're a heel and people hate you, they throw things at you like cans and uh, films and uh, sometimes rocks or <laughs> anything that they they can get under their hands, they'll, they'll throw it at the at the heel if you really get over it. If they really hate you, and uh, I guess I was doing like a pretty good job of being a good heel because uh, I got uh, <laughs> I got into a lot of uh, stuff with the fans and uh, it was it's just so different because. Uh, it's more of a, you know, if you go there very technical or if you go there very uh, trying to do a lot of uh, eye flying, people don't really care about that. 
They want to see a good old fight. You know, they want to see a, a big brawl, a fight, and uh, they want to see a lot of fire when do you come back, when when the the baby face comes back. You know, they want to see him jump and go crazy and break his face, and uh, that's that's the kind of wrestling that that Puerto Rico is all about. You know, it's like uh, very very different. And then uh, Japan. Well, it's very much like when I was there for All Japan, I had the chance to wrestle like two of the best in the world. Uh, and uh, Jun Akiyama and uh, Kobashi. And, uh, and I was you know, I was teaming with Vader most of the night. A tag team, me and Vader, like for, for a good part of the tour. Uh, that was great working with Leon and... Uh, I mean, Kobashi uh, is like uh, one of the guys, the top guys there in Japan that would mix up with the Americans and Canadian guys. And some of the guys they were like really to their own things, like Kawada was really tough to talk to, or Tawe, you know. Uh, most of the times with those guys in Misawa, uh, you have to put your match together with the referee because they wouldn't even show up. <laughs> so that's how, how, how it was in 2000. Now, from what I understand, like I was supposed to go for a tour uh, just before Christmas time with New Japan Pro Wrestling, but Brody King had injured his knee. So uh, we were pulled out of tag league because I didn't have a partner. Uh, but from what I understand, you know, talking to Marty and uh, Zack Sabre and uh, all the guys that I know that are who went there very often, even like uh, Jeff Cobb, uh, they uh, and I've seen it at the Madison Square Garden during a G1 Super Guard and the sold out Madison Square Garden with ROH and New Japan Pro Wrestling uh, that everybody's kind of melting together, you know, there's, uh, there's not that, uh, that high step that it used to be there, the, the bosses and the top guys and the rest of the roster, so, uh, it was a great experience for me, all Japan, uh, I love the way the crowd reacts, the way it builds up into a match, and, uh, got to know John Laurinaitis a little bit better, and, uh, and I thought it was a pretty cool dude. So uh, I had a lot of fun there. Hey, this is John Cosper from EatSleepWrestle.com, and you are listening to the Wrestle Talk podcast, Best of 2020. And they absolutely did that. No question about it. They delivered, and again, it is completely subjective in the fact that we're talking about it, mission accomplished. So let's move over to something that's not subjective, something that has been proven by science. And we were having this conversation earlier because I celebrated my birthday just yesterday. And my wife brought me my favorite pie, which happens to be the best pie ever, which is key lime pie. What's your stance on how great key lime pie is? Or if you want to disagree, that's fine. But I'd rather hear you tell me how great key lime pie is. Key lime pie is the intercontinental champion, but it's going to always job to Lemon Meringue. 
on the shows that I knew I was at in that arena, and I found where I was actually sitting. So one of the first things I did after I walked into the arena and shook all the boys' hands is I went to where I was actually sitting at those different events and looked at the ring and just absorbed the fact that I will, I will be in that ring. And what freaked me out more than anything is looking at the run sheet, I'm with Tommy Dreamer and Joey Mercury in the main event. What? So, yeah. So I went from indie guy with limited experience to immediately going to becoming a major player in a run where a feud erupts between Joey Mercury and Tommy Dreamer, and I'm the leader of the of the heel faction. Ah, uh, yeah, man, it was. I mean, I start off heavy, man. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's 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 been uh, one of those days. Um, I will say, uh, he. I mean, one day that day comes for all of us, you know. He's he his race ended today, but uh, he ran a good one. He ran a strong one. Uh, I couldn't be more proud of him. Uh, uh, Keith and I, uh, as you know, uh, trained with uh, Keith Lee, um, who is now the NXT North American champion. Uh, a few days ago, we were actually with him, uh, visiting him in his home. Uh, he did hospice care at his home, and uh, we got to sit up with him and, um, you know, talk about, you know, what he expected of us. Uh, and uh, it was super somber, but it was it was a beautiful thing. You know, he was, you know, still... <laughs> Same old killer, you know. Uh, it was it was tough to see, but uh, I, he was a warrior up until the end. Uh, truly a legend in his business. Uh, you know, he he came from an era where you know they were working four or five nights a week. You know, gone like gone, gone. You know what I'm saying all the time. And uh, for him to still be a family man, you know, through all of that and uh, build a family and uh, build a, a school uh, after that, and you know, uh, put together some some top tier talents and still keep that relationship with us even though you know you know Keith's on NXT I was in CMLL in Mexico you know we're still talking to him on the phone and he's still telling us you know uh you sacrifice that story because y'all can do some some cool moves I'll kick your ass I'm old but I'll still do it you know and uh uh it's, it was just one of those things you know once we got back in the states uh you know uh well once I got back in the states uh, you know, I had heard he had taken a turn for the worse, so um, I was trying to visit him as much as I could uh, with, uh, you know, Johnny Mantell and uh, the Downs family who run the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame in Texas. Uh, I was be being able to get there and uh, see him as much as possible. Uh, you know, they um, said that he wasn't, he didn't have much time left a few weeks ago. Uh, Keith was trying to get some time off to uh, get down to see Coach and, uh, you know, Triple H, you know, trying to make it work. And, you know, shout out to WWE for uh, moving the schedule around so Keith could get away to, you know, see Coach. And, uh, you know, he still held on to, you know, see Keith one more time. And, uh, you know, we sat down and we talked and we helped him uh, design uh, a new building because he was still trying to work. <laughs> you know, even in the last wow. moment, he was still trying to work. You know, so uh, uh, it, was, it, was, it was tough, but uh, it was killer being killer still ready to work you know show goes on as he says so uh you know like again i'm i'm here at the training facility right now you know I, every part of me wanted to stay home you know i mean even you guys were very gracious like you know hey if we need to reschedule you know it's cool i appreciate you guys you know being supportive of course. uh 
but I, I already know killer, you know, job's got to get done, you know. Uh, and, and that was him until his last moments. Nobody's bigger than the show. And so, uh, I, it's, it's a tough day, but, uh, uh, we got to press forward, and that's that's what he made us to do. That's how he created us, and that's, so that's what we're going to do. So I'm here, and I'm I'm ready to talk wrestling, and I'm ready to honor uh, all the time that he invested in us. Uh, you know, and it's just uh, it's, it's it's tough, but you know we're we got to do it. You know. Que pasa, amigos? Welcome back to the best of 2020 right here on the Wrestle Talk podcast available to you 24/7 at wrestletalkpodcast.com we're just coming back now from an awesome interview from promoter extraordinaire the MK Bandit Matt Robles always a good time to talk to that dude what an incredible interview we had and then of course the one and only JD Griffey who's been spending some time in Orlando i cannot wait until we have him back on sometime in 2021, dude. It's going to be fantastic, you guys. Now, Black Wrestlers Matter is something that I wanted to touch on very briefly. We sponsored them. If you saw the live stream or the replay, you know Wrestling Talk Podcast was all over that puppy. So allow me to thank John West and all the wonderful people at Black Wrestlers Matter, which, by the way, they've already announced their next show, Juneteenth, 2021. And we're going to do everything possible to continue to support them, and we may even be in the house. Stay tuned. More news to come on that. And on that note, we did have one of the superstars that competed at the very first ever Black Wrestlers Matter event. JP, you know what to do, baby. Cue up. But fantastic clip from episode 305 with the one and only Jocelyn Navarro. Podcast sent you. With all that said, I do want to get in to kind of like the hot topic, right? And the hot topic mm-hmm. is this amazing event that's going down on August 22nd, 2020, called Black Wrestlers Matter. Before we get on to the event itself, I want to ask you, as, as a sister, right, as somebody with a little mm-hmm. melatonin in their skin, like you're truly, right? I'm, I'm from the land of the sun. <laughs> I'm a Mexican cat. I was born in Mexico, so uh, I feel like there's that, that connection, right? Um, when mm-hmm. you think about... Like Black Wrestlers Matter, the event, but then you also think about the social cause that's going on in, in America and really throughout the world right now. Um, do you have any words of encouragement for people of color uh, that maybe have dealt with racism, oppression, discrimination on any level? Um, you don't have to get into anything personal if you don't want to, but what message would you send out to little girls that see you wrestle and go, oh, wow, she looks just like me. If she can do it, I could do it just like you did with Usain Bolt and Big Poppy? Um, just don't let anybody discourage you because of the color of your skin. Um, I oftentimes, as, as a female wrestler, I run into um, female wrestling fans that, you know, are, are my color, and they'll tell me stories of how they were discouraged from doing this and doing that because they were dark-skinned and whatnot. And they asked how to, how to have confidence going forward as a dark-skinned woman or, you know, person in general and being out here and trying to do your thing and whatnot. And just the, my number one thing is never get discouraged, never be scared, always have your voice heard. Um, I, me, I'm not, I, I don't, I'm not afraid to lose anything. 
if it means speaking up for my people. I don't care about losing bookings. I don't care about losing friends. None of that when it comes to speaking up for my people and protecting my people. Um, because when, when you've been in a, in a situation, in life or death situations, in regards to the police or anything because of your color of your skin, you become fearless. And I, I've been in some situations, you know, had protecting family members where, you know, even at one point a police officer put a gun on my brother absolutely for no reason. And that's my brother, you know, that's my best friend. You know, I, I stepped in front of the gun. You know, I would, I would rather them take me out instead of my brother. So at this point in my life, as, as a 23-year-old person, I'm just like, you know, never be afraid of having your voice heard. Never be afraid of speaking out. And I think that's the most important thing. And never be afraid to do whatever it is that you want to do. Because whatever you feel like you can do, you can do it. So I think that, that would be my message to anybody out there that is, that's weary about doing whatever because of the color of their skin or what they look like. Don't be afraid of shit. Get out there and do it. Doesn't matter what anybody else has to say. No doubt, no doubt. I absolutely love that. And here, here's my philosophy because I'm, I'm with you. You can't, you can't cancel me. I, I started mm-hmm. with nothing. <laughs> I know what it feels like. You can't take everything away from me and defeat me because when I got here, I had nothing. So I've been there. Mm-hmm. It's not a scary place. Mm-hmm. It's not a scary place to me. Thank you so much for that heartfelt message. That, that that's beautiful, and that's even better than what I was looking for. So thank you very much. Uh, moving on to the event, though, um, August twenty second, Franklin Junior High School, four hundred one Franklin Avenue, Des Moines, Iowa, seven p.m. Tickets as low as ten dollars. This ain't a cash bra- a grab. It absolutely though is a fundraising event for causes that support the ideology that you just heard from the intelligent, the lovely, the talented Jocelyn Navarro. Let's talk about that real quick. How excited are you, A, to be back wrestling again, and number two, or B, I should say, to be a part and get an invite to this kind of event? Because I know a lot of uh, 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 black wrestlers, Latino wrestlers, that wish they'd gotten the invite to this event, but for whatever reason, mm-hmm. I know there's only so much room on the car, didn't. First of all, I'm very excited <laughs> to to be on this show. It, it means so much to me. Um, it, it it means like the world to me. When when he messaged me, asked me that I want to be on the show, I was like hell yeah, like of course, <laughs> like hell yeah. put me on. <laughs> I was so excited, and then to see the other talent that's going to be on the show. Um, I I met a couple of them, but I interact with the majority of them. So to be able to meet a lot of them for the first time in person, and I'm sure it's going to be like, you know, just showing up to the cookout, like, hey, you know, like I've known these people forever. Like I'm really, really excited for it. And, um, yeah, I'm just excited. (laughs) Like I can't wait for it. That's great. Well, (laughs) speaking of the talent, speaking of the talent, because, I wouldn't put you on the spot and ask you to name the talent. We, we do that for you. So here's a few of the names. Uh, obviously, Jocelyn Navarro, Shane Foster, uh, American Fury, John West. Which Shout out to John West. This man, uh, I'm not going to say single-handedly, but he is a force when it comes to this event and the movement. Uh, so mega shout out to John West. Uh, Queen B, Brooke Valentine, which, by the way, Brooke, you're a talented girl. 
But, you know, I like my custom fitted caps, and you and that mean cheek I'm Marty Bell basically destroyed my my ball cap at uh, Journey Pro about a year ago, and I feel like I deserve an apology. Okay, so we'll talk about that at the show. Uh, Airwolf. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Renee, you ain't getting shit. Uh, anyway, uh, Brooke Valentine, Airwolf, uh, Alpha Omega, shout out to uh, Kenny, shout out to Camaro Jackson. I love both of those guys dearly. Black Sexalist, Devin Monroe, uh, Isaiah Broner, another shotgun. We talked about another shotgun earlier. Shotgun Chris Logan, former guest of the show. Angel Dorado, shout out to mi gente. Cal Creed, SK Bishop, who I had the pleasure of working with previously here in Kansas City. Stephen Wolf, Adam Kennedy, and one of my favorite wrestlers on the whole planet, St. Louis's very own Mike Outlaw. That is the lineup that you are going to be on the card on. And if you are already excited, I know you're even more excited now, Jocelyn. I guess I'm going to ask you this question. It's going to be a little unfair. Now that you've heard that, any pressure to perform when you're going to be on a card with that kind of talent? Kind of curious. What do you think? All right. You left two names off, though. You forgot about Faye Jackson. Well, that's all I, and, that's all I got right now. Some haven't been revealed okay. yet. So I'm, I'm just going with what's officially been revealed. That's all I'm going with. I'm a, that's why I left a few off. For oh, me. I'm back. I thought, I thought her thing came out already, but okay. <laughs> but, um, I'm, I'm sure that's but, all I was able to get. Maybe I missed a few, but, hey, no, if you have them, this is the time. Let's go. I mean, I, I don't want to leave anybody out, though. <laughs> but, no, I, um, I, I didn't want to get ahead of the band. You feel me? I was just like, I'm just the one no, that I see good. for sure. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. You're good. You're good. <laughs> but, um. I, I don't, as far as pressure, I don't feel any pressure to f- perform. I, I know that all of these names that you just named are extremely talented, um, oh, yeah. a- amazing people. I've seen majority of them wrestle. You know, I, I know most of them. So I, I'm just excited to be on this stacked cart with them. I'm, I'm excited to be able to perform and put on an amazing show because I know from top to bottom that the show is going to be amazing. So I, I, I'm just excited to show out with them. I'm excited to, to, you know, debut my new gear with them and stuff. This is Kenny the Starmaker Bowen, WWE Hall of Fame mentionee and the host of the number one podcast in the world and the most downloaded podcast in the world, The Bowen Alley. And you are listening to Wrestle Talk Podcast Best of 2020. I did say good day. <laughs> there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Public service announcement from the Star yeah, Maker. Surely, 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 surely the older of a man you are, the older the kid is when it's born would be my guess. I don't know. Get <laughs> kid be born, be 19 <laughs> years old. <yeah. laughs> that, that would be something else. Well, Kenny, the reason I ask or the reason I say that is I know that it's hard for you to get excited for what you see, and I'm curious, why? I thought you was trying. I thought you was trying to make a sexual contact there for a minute. Whoa, whoa, take it easy, hey, take you gotta yeah. relax, Kenny Bolin. I, I gotta relax, so man. You gotta relax. It's hard for you. It's hard for the current brand of wrestling to arouse you, Kenny. There you and go. You I would go along with that. The current the current brand does not arouse me. I think that's a safe bet. Yeah. Why though, Kenny? What's missing? 
used to be back in the day. Well, you don't believe any goddamn thing. It used to used to be back in the day when you watch Jerry Lawler, Dutch Mantel, Bill Dundee, various others on television. They would make you believe what they were saying and what they were doing because they had the freedom to do so and the talent to do so. What we have now are a bunch of comic book writers writing for pro wrestlers. Comic book writers, as a rule, don't know shit about pro wrestling. They don't know the mentality uh, of the wrestling fan. And and, and uh, Maya's always getting on how stupid my fans are all the time. They want to believe. Um, I mean, there, there are people that know me real well that know, don't know when I'm shooting with them or when I'm you know just uh, fucking around. They just don't know, and that is the art of being able to tell a story, is you've got to make them believe the story, and there's just not many people. I mean, short of Chris Jericho, there's not too many people able to do that right now that are still actually wrestling on television. It's all scripted bullshit that's easy to read through, and uh, back in the day, Jerry Lawler, and Maya's even admitted this herself, told one hell of a story without screaming, without yelling, Made you believe him, because Maya does not like the Hulk Hogan promo. All the screaming and the yelling and your vitamins and all this shit. She liked the psychology of what Jerry could do. Even though she doesn't really like Jerry himself, she admired the psychology and his ability to tell a story. Ric Flair, on the other hand, was technically a screamer and a yeller. That promo didn't in, 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 in excite her too much. Terry Funk, on the other hand... Could go either way, but basically was an excellent storyteller, even though he could scream and yell with the best of them. And then Lawler, from time to time, would do that, too. So it takes being a good storyteller, being as a good guy or a bad guy, to believe the shit you're putting on, and then to be able to work in the ring to back up the work with the story. And there's so very few people that can do that these days, especially in all of the companies. Most of them are good spot monkeys and, and good at reading a script and memorizing it. They're not good at freelancing and going on their own, and if they want to get pissed at me for saying that, so be it, but it's the God's honest truth. There's not many that have that ability, or if they have that ability, they're not being permitted to show it because they tell you to stick to the script. The year 2020 in the wrestling podcast business has been nothing short of a crapshoot. That being said, one of the highlights of the year was my appearance on the Wrestle Talk podcast. This is Tom Simon. And you're listening to the Wrestle Talk Podcast Best of 2020. Oh, sir, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me, Renee. Man. <laughs> so, I, I've got to ask, what is the weather like right now in China? I know that it's like 8.31 in the morning there, so... So I know that that you you probably just just woke up. You know you're you're getting out out the uh, asleep. That that that's in your eye. Maybe you're drinking a beer. Uh, <laughs> what's the weather like in China? <laughs> oh, do get me wrong, Joe. I am Irish. Well, <laughs> I'm not that Irish. Uh, <laughs> the weather is amazing. It is the typical average of 35 degrees Celsius. The sun is high in the sky. The sky is very blue, and it just looks like a tropical scene here. Nice. That is absolutely awesome. China is one place that I've always wanted to go. China and uh, Ireland. I've always wanted to go to uh, Ireland. So you trained under the guidance of Elite British Wrestling. What was it like training under Elite British Wrestling? Oh, well, some of the guys there, obviously, they were... 
experienced veterans. So, in a way, they were professional throughout. They were your good coaches, giving good guidance. But, like, just me being me, I was like a kid. I was all ears. I was on my best behavior. Anything they said, I took as gospel. I already had an idea in my head that I wanted to do. And, man, yeah, I'll never forget where I come from. And I love every single session. Yeah, you know, it's so how has the, the wrestling been uh, is different in, I'm not sure if you you wrestled in America, but how is it different from wrestling in England to wrestling in America? Um, unfortunately, I've not had the pleasure to wrestle in America yet. Okay. Thanks to uh, AIWF, uh, Matt Creed, for, well, for setting this up. We are looking at scheduling some dates in the States. Awesome, that, that 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 that's awesome. Like like, I I know that when when you you finally get to wrestle in America, you're 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 gonna love it because everybody loves you know American wrestling. And the the thing about it, you know is wrestling in China is probably different than wrestling in England. Wrestling in England is different than wrestling in 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 uh, America. Uh, so you won the AIWF European Championship. How does it feel to, to win that championship? Well, the city I won that, not my first championship, I won in under two years that I've been training. Mm-hmm. And, man, it's, uh, you know, just because you have a championship, it doesn't mean, like, things get easier or, uh, like, your training gets easier, you can take a back seat. With a championship, you become a role model. You become someone that people look up to and especially to be a European champion, um, you, you've just got to step things up and just train, train every day, uh, promo every day, promote and progress every day. You know, like the way I see it too, my attitude is every day I'm a student. I'm always learning. I'm like a sponge. I want to grasp more information. And with this title, it's not a weight on my shoulders. It's more of an uplift to better myself. Okay, yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, you know, in any time that you win a, a a championship, it's always always a great thing. Especially, you always remember your first championship. And I guess in my last question before I throw it to my co-host is, you know, you wrestled in in England, you wrestled in China. Uh, could we maybe see Kano wrestling in Japan one day? Because, you know, China and oh, Japan, you know. Good question, Joe. Good question. So I would love to be able to, to, to see, you know, Kano wrestling in, you know, for New Japan Pro Wrestling or any other wrestling in Japan. And do you have any desire to wrestle in Japan? Absolutely, Joe. What I love about Japanese wrestling, you know, it is... It is strong style, you know, not not only is it, you know, just doing your, your typical wrestling, but man, you've got to show that you can take some hits. We've had some Japanese guys in the, uh, in the Chinese scene. Don't get me wrong, when they chop, when they forearm, whatever they do, you better be ready for it because <laughs> it's going to keep coming. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> like a lot of people... Have, have said that. All right, but I don't want to take up all of the time because I do have a co-host. 
So, Renee, why don't you come in here with whatever questions that you have? Absolutely. Uh, again, guys, for those of you who are just now tuning in, we've got people from seven different states, I'm sorry, six different states watching right now. And uh, if you happen to be listening to the replay later on, we love you just the same. So my first uh, question for you, Mad Dog, is the question that most fans ask professional wrestlers, and I know that we've got a lot of fans watching here tonight, so where did the alias, the Mad Dog, originate? So I originated, well, sorry, I originally come from Ireland. I made my trade in the UK. Hey guys, this is Richter Osmegut, and you're listening to Wrestle Talk Podcast Best of 2020. Uh, I just want to talk. Can we go back to the? Uh, I have on my sheet that you were a commentator during the WLC match between Hornswoggle and El Torito. I remember that match. I remember just watching it and just being just amazed. But I mean, it was hilarious. Can you one tell us how that came about, and two, how did that go? How 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 did you feel calling quote unquote calling that match, and did you have any trepidation about it? Well, um, you know, basically that was um, that. First of all, uh, you know, that was the last appearance I made within uh, within WWE and everything. And, you know, throughout my career, I've had many opportunities working with them, playing a lot of different parodies uh, of characters, whether I was portraying, you know, Mini Undertaker or Kurt Angle or Spirit Squad or whatever. And uh, then there was some times when they were starting the, the juniors division where I was able to actually be my own character in WWE. And uh, then they had contacted me about what they were going to be doing with um, El Torito and Hornswoggle and VLC for the Extreme Rules and had asked if I would be uh, interested in being part of that as well as if I would be able to, uh, you know, if I had anybody else that I would recommend that would like to work alongside uh, myself and uh, those two guys and what we were able to create and produce. Uh, first of all, I have nothing but uh, a lot of excitement and honor because of the fact that what uh, that whole match brought to that pay-per-view as well as just showing to the, the wrestling fans was, was awesome. It was exciting because of the fact that, yes, it was, you know, um, some of the some of the props and everything like that in the beginning were, you know, miniaturized and everything, uh, miniature forms of larger props that, um, you know, the, the bigger guys would, uh, you know, use. But then at the same time, these guys, let me tell you, they, they brought it uh, from beginning to end. And in my opinion, as well as what I've heard, you know, from a lot of the fans throughout, you know, the years and everything like that is that match actually stole the whole pay-per-view. It was definitely the match of the night. And uh, to be a part of that, and, you know, again, we were showing whether it was WWE or wrestling fans or whatever, that first of all, um, the fans want midget wrestling. They definitely want me to wrestle. But at the same token, 
they don't want, uh, you know, the, the, the carny stuff that uh, was more or less the, the stereotype and the staple and the cliche in, uh, you know, the 70s and the, uh, the 80s that we were mostly seeing when any time midget wrestling was televised. But they wanted to see um, guys and girls, regardless of height and size, they wanted to see them work. They wanted to see them wrestle. And that match, we saw that from, uh, from beginning to end. So, again, to be a part of that and to be a part of a commentating team to commentate that match and everything, it was definitely an awesome opportunity. Renee? Well, Drake, I, I appreciate you giving me the floor here. I, I guess all I can say is in an era where the top company in the world is telling people that they can't have a Twitch channel <laughs> and, and that they can't make money on Cameo for you to be able to pull names like Sack Sabre Jr., The War Horse, uh, Chris Bay, which, by the way, Chris Bay is one of my favorites, Cole Cabana, and so on and so forth. I think it's absolutely unprecedented. And then you bring together, you know, Ring of Honor by bringing in Ian Rigabani, and then uh, the NWA by having Nick Aldis be a part of it at all, uh, of, of it all as well, who happens to be one of my favorite wrestlers uh, pretty much ever. I absolutely love Nick Aldis on, on every level. Uh, just kudos to you for for being willing to scale that wall because I'm sure you ran into some speed bumps and some challenges along the way. Uh, would you be willing to share some of those with us? What What are some of the, the hurdles that you've had to overcome to kind of put this thing together? Yeah, I, for sure. I mean, we, we talked to other, other uh, talent as well. And, you know, one of the things in putting together the roster, I really wanted from the beginning, you know, I went back and forth, me and Mike Archer, who I alluded to earlier, you know, we're trying to put an idea together. How do, how do we want this this uh, roster to really form? And I'm all over the place because I'm just a big fan of every era of professional wrestling. And it was hard for me to say, all right, are we just going to do a Legends game? Well, Legends of Wrestling has been done. Do we want to do something like that? Well, do we want all current guys? Well, that's going to be tough to get guys from AEW um, and from, you know, uh, WWE, which would be impossible due to 2K. So then I was like, well, why don't we just span every era and get guys I like, uh, who I like growing up, or guys, current indie guys that I like now. And it kind of turned into, why don't we know we're not going to please everybody, but I'll, I'll be hard to find a person, a wrestling fan, who doesn't find at least one of our wrestlers and like them on our roster. And that's kind of just that's the, 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 the way we decided to go. Uh, to more directly answer your question, you know, some guys that we kind of wanted to get but couldn't, the big one and the big joke on our uh, social media is, hey, you guys should sign Demolition. You guys should sign Demolition. And um, we talked to them, and it turned out that there was definitely a licensing dispute uh, that had some legal, uh, un- unclosed legal cases going on, and we couldn't, unfortunately couldn't sign them. Um, but, you know, there were, there were things like that where we just, you know, the talent wasn't sure if they owned the name anymore. Uh, or couldn't maybe they thought they did, but they couldn't legally produce it enough where, you know, we were comfortable going out on a limb and and, and going to going to print, so to speak, with them. Uh, unfortunately, that was the case. And there's some guys, you know, we're still we still want to chase and hopefully eventually get in as their some of their contracts expire. Um, specifically, Magnum TA was an all-time favorite of mine. Definitely my, the first That'd wrestler I would consider my my favorite wrestler. Um, for sure. 
And so I think we're, we're hopeful that his contract's going to expire soon, that he has going on, and that we can uh, pick him up for hopefully we're in a position where we can continue to support and add wrestlers to the roster. This is Dynamo Pro Heavyweight Champion Lights Out Adrian Surge, and you're listening to the Wrestle Talk Podcast Best of 2020. Fantastic, but you cannot say that I've been in the professional wrestling business for 50 years because I was born July 12, 1973. So you have to shorten that up. I was more than two or three years old when I started wrestling. So there. So direct from his palatial <laughs> estate high in the hills of Hollywood, California, all of you amazingly lucky people are seeing him. Not really. You're hearing him live and in person. The first, the only, the original, Mr. Wonderful of professional wrestling, the Diamond Ring and Lamborghini Man, the man who possesses the body that men fear and women love, the intercontinental <laughs> lover, the Rolls Royce of wrestling, three-time, three-time Hall of Famer, Rock Riddle. You see, see I thought okay, I would uh, assist you with your introduction. Can, can, can we get Rock Riddle to just, uh, start doing our introductions for us? Because that was absolutely I don't amazing. know if we can afford the guy. I, I wish uh, we you, could. I just don't know if we can afford the guy. I mean, I'm just being honest. You her. cannot. <laughs> I'll, I'll share a story with you, if you'd like. I'll share a story with my friend Gerald Briscoe who uh, oh. nominated for me for a fourth uh, Hall of Fame, and that's the NWA Luthez Hall of Fame. So we'll see what happens next year when I go there. Yeah, I'm there every rock, year, except rock, the years rock, they can't. Rock, Rock, let me stop you right there. Now, what we try to do here on the show is we bridge old school and new school. You know what the young guys call that, right, what you just did? Well, that's called a humble brag. And you know what? We encourage it, so please continue. <laughs> Okay, fine. You see, because... Humble brag, four Hall of I mean, come on. That's a big deal. Of course. I've accomplished a lot in my life, and I have a lot more to go. Gerald Briscoe told me, you know, that Gerald Briscoe for, what, 30 years was with uh, WWE, and I think assumed the position of uh, senior vice president for a while, that kind of thing. Anyway, I have a video of him talking to me about how he emulates me, how, how he thinks everyone wants to be like Rock Riddle. And I said, Jerry, let's get right to it. What is everyone really asking you? He says, well, everyone is talking. In fact, the president, Vince McMahon, the president of WWE and I have sat down and talked about bringing you in many, many times, but Vince knew that he would have to sell all of his stock and he would still not have enough money to pay the fees that you demand. I have a video of that, so. Okay, <laughs> and we'll just keep moving on. If you don't have questions, I can interview myself. It's not a problem. I had a fellow a couple of years ago. I sent him an email. He wanted me to be on his radio show, two-hour live radio show. So I sent him an email, and I said, this was the first time I was going to be on his show. I said, for the show, Here's my suggestion. Say, Rock Riddle, would you please introduce yourself? Then don't say another word. We will have a brilliant two-hour show. <laughs> dude, dude, hold on. So, Rock, you, you have to understand. What? My buddy Joe, as great as he is, 313 episodes in, he's got a little bit of a speech impediment. So I'm sure he's got some questions. Joe, 
playing, baby, because we are in the fast lane, and you got to keep up. I do. I, I, I do. You know, uh, you know. Some, my first question doesn't even have to do with uh, wrestling. You know, you, you've been involved in a lot of television shows, such as the Gong Show, the new Soupy Sales Show, the Dating Game. How did you get involved in uh, game shows? Well, as a professional wrestler, I was working for Roy Shire up in San Francisco area. Decided that I would go down to Los Angeles. Leo Garibaldi was booking. He asked me to come down to L.A. So I still went back and forth and, and worked for, uh, for Roy as well. But when I was in Los Angeles, I said, oh, gee, I'm in Hollywood, the film capital of the world. I think I'll do some work as, a, as an actor. Leo Garibaldi, the booker, laughed. He says, ha. Millions of people say that, Rock Riddle. They all, they all fail. They fail. They come from all over the world to fall, all over the world to fall on their face. And if you do that, you'll be starving. You'll lose so much weight. You'll be begging me to book you again. And I'll say, I'm sorry, Rock. I can't because you're too skinny. So, like four weeks later, I was in the dressing room in the Olympic Auditorium, and I said, Leo, Thursday night, NBC, eight o'clock and watched his face. And every time I had another television show or another movie, I simply went back and loved to see this, the, the face, the expression on the face of the amazing Leo Garibaldi. So how did I do it? By simply deciding I was going to do it. All we have to do is conceive of something, believe it, conceive it, believe it, achieve it. As simple as it sounds, don't stop ourselves. I did seven shows for Chuck Barris. Chuck Barris loved me. He was great. He understood my sense of humor, and he paid me one of the greatest compliments that I've been paid in the entertainment industry. I kept coming up with different acts for his show. I was paid as professional talent. Those who don't know, there were real amateurs on, non-actors, non-professionals, and there was professional talent paid to be on there as well. And so I kept coming up with different different little skits, if you will, different ideas. And Chuck Barris said, I have a, an idea for a running gag for you on this show. And I said, okay, let me finish out the things that I have in mind first, and, and then we'll see if we can go from there. But Chuck would sit down with me every time, no matter what he was doing, and he was worth $17 million at the time and then went, became much more wealthy. And he would ask me about my career and how everything was going. He told me this as a compliment. He says, Rock Riddle, you are the first person I've met who totally gets the concept of this show. Other people thought it was either totally real or just totally ridiculously stupid. But it, I had a lot of fun doing it. He had one of his assistants call me and ask me if I would do the dating game. And I said, I'm not doing the dating game. I'm not crazy. And the person said, well, Chuck would like you to do it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. They said, Rock Riddle, you put yourself in a straight jacket with a, with a big Mexican sombrero on your head, put yourself in a straight jacket, not been able to get out of it, fallen down the stairs, stayed with, there for the rest of the show. You've, done, you've broken boards and beat up a dummy. You've sang horribly. You've done all these crazy things. These have to be the most embarrassing things for most people who would never, ever consider doing that. Why won't you do the dating game? And I thought for a moment, 
And as I was thinking, he says, Chuck would really like you to do it. He asked me to call you. I said, could I do it in character? He said, of course. He said, okay, I'll do it. But then uh, the running gag never did happen because I got involved in other things and just did not have time for it. But Chuck Barris was a wonderful, wonderful man, and I miss him. I miss so many people. I've been so fortunate to know so many people in the professional wrestling business which is my number one love, and that's my, that's my life. You cut me, I bleed wrestling. I don't bleed entertainment. I don't bleed film and television. I bleed wrestling. And the wrestling family, that's my family. That's my, my big family. What else would you like to know? Ladies and gentlemen, we are back with the best of 2020 with the WrestleTalk podcast. My goodness gracious, you know, 2020 has been such an a amazing year. But once again, we couldn't do this without our supporters, and one of those is a man that has been with us since day one, and that is Everything Combat with Pat Milichitz and our Jay Hollywood. So shout out to them. The clip that you just listened to was from the one and only Rock Riddle. What an amazing interview Rock Riddle was. You know, he was on game shows. Amazing, 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 amazing interview, and let me tell you something. The past couple months of the Russia Talk podcast have been absolutely amazing. And if you don't believe me, listen to these couple clips. Your accomplishments. There aren't many people that can lay claim to being recognized by Pro Wrestling Illustrated on 11 different occasions. You've been in the top 500 on 11 different occasions. We've had this debate many, many times, but I'm curious to know. Does it mean anything to you, and do you think it's substantial when you are on that PWI 500 list? You know, I think it's kind of been one of those locker room debates, and, uh, you know, typically what you'll hear in the locker room, mostly from guys that don't get listed, is, oh, that's just a mark list. It doesn't matter. Uh, you know, the, the, there's so many guys that deserve to be on the list, and they're not there. Uh, but I think it's, you know, when you look at the criteria for the list – uh, you know, it's not just about who's the best talent. It's about who's making the biggest impact in the business that year. Uh, so when you have, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, maybe you've got one of the greatest talents ever working out of Winnipeg, but nobody outside of Winnipeg knows who they are, uh, you know, versus somebody that is touring nationally and is headlining uh, for companies that from coast to coast. Those are things that are significant. Uh, you know, for, for me, it, it, you know, one of the things that I always stress to, to guys that I trained uh, later than me, and some of them really took it to heart, was any opportunity you have to get media, you get it. Whether that's the local newspaper, whether it's a radio interview, whether you have an opportunity to do the WrestleTalk podcast, any opportunity you get to put your name out there in front of people, you always take it. And so when you have an opportunity to get into Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazine, which is sort of the premier publication of wrestling, and have your name there, once it's in print, it's always there. Uh, did it make me a lot more money being in Pro Wrestling Illustrated? Not necessarily. But it certainly gave promoters a tool to use to, when they're bringing, bringing me to a new market to say, hey, Chilliwack, British Columbia, we're bringing Bans Nevada to your town. The man who is rated by Wrestling Illustrated Magazine is one of the top wrestlers in the world. Uh, right. <laughs> and we're going to bring him here. 
you know, so, you know, for sponsors, for advertisers, now you have something that's credible in print. It's not your, your typical promoter mumbo jumbo, uh, you know, and we see less of that now with sort of this reality-based booking and, and social media awareness versus back in the day where wrestler would go into a new territory, their bio was completely fictitious, um, you know, and, and the promoter would, would spin it uh, whatever way they needed to to fill a spot. Now you have, you know, ma- sort of mainstream media credibility uh, that you can now use and leverage. Um, and so when you're talking, and I, I find it even more important when you're talking to non-wrestling fans, if you're doing a, you know, a daytime talk show and you're talking to a host that has obviously no idea about wrestling and no idea about you to be able to share those types of credentials with them that they can verify and, and prove that they're legit is incredibly valuable. And so I would always say to, to anyone, if you are in the wrestling business and you're not doing everything you can to constructively get noticed. This is Evan Ginsberg, associate producer of The Wrestler and 350 Days. You are listening to Wrestle Talk's Best of 2020. You missed the birth of your mother and father. Don't miss Wrestle Talk's Best of 2020. Happy holidays, everybody. Wow. I mean, that. so I'm not going to lie to you. I kind of had, whenever I ask questions, I kind of have an idea of what someone's going to answer. Um, and, and that just, that completely threw me because that, that was just really interesting because those are the things that we don't, as viewers, don't ever think about. So before I, I move on to my last question, I just want to briefly touch on 350 days because I actually think this is, I honestly really enjoyed this interview. I know Jeremy did. I know we have a game show challenge coming up in about five minutes. But I would really like to see if we can have you back on in the future and talk about some things uh, relating to wrestling, too, yeah, for a little pleasure, bit. My pleasure. My uh, pleasure. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. But can you talk real quick, um, just briefly, if you could, about uh, the 350 Days Project? Because I know that um, this, is a new, this is the newest one that um, you've been doing with documentaries. And I, you just said that you took a long time on this one to make. But what can uh, the viewers kind of expect out of this for someone who's never watched this before? Sure. 350 Days is a full-length documentary starring Bret Hart, superstar Billy Graham, Greg Valentine, Tito Santana, Ox Baker. I mean, we have three dozen legends in this movie. Basically, they pour their guts out about being on the road, some of them 300-plus days a year. That's where the title came from. Guys like Ric Flair, Flair's not in the movie, wrestled 350 days a year as the world champion. Bret Hart said he wrestled about 336 days a year. Greg Valentine told me 320 days. So basically the theme of the movie is what's it like to be away from your family, away from your wife, away from your kids. Sorry, I'm working Starcade. Sorry, I'm working Survivor Series. I can't be home for Thanksgiving. I can't be home for Christmas. I can't be home for the birth of my child, the wedding of my older child. And what this does to marriages, you know, relationships, and, you know, besides sex, drugs, rock and roll, celebrity, you know, it's, it's a, it was a crazy lifestyle for these guys. And basically they're very openly and honestly, you know, pouring their hearts out 
about the sacrifices and the physical pain. I've had wrestlers say to me, Evan, I'm always in pain. Always. Imagine taking bumps 300 plus days a year. You know, they go, oh, oh, wrestling's fake. Gravity isn't fake. You're throwing guys around the ring. Okay. Gravity isn't fake. I've had three matches in about four months and I'm still, I feel every bit of them. And I just, I I literally thought the other day of, and I I was sitting there going, man, my neck's kind of still sore from that. And I'm going, how the hell did did these guys do it in the eighties? Cause you're right. I mean, there was, and, and, and not to, to cut you off, but just add on to it, the medicine to, to help, you know, keep the body's longevity going and keep it up wasn't really there too. So it's, it's really, it's phenomenal that they were even able to go that for as long as they did for the length of time that they did. Well, the real pros, the real pros will tell you, I worked light, you know, I wasn't taking crazy bumps, but still, you know, um, I, I, I am always saddened when I see, for example, at the end, Holly Race was in a wheelchair. You have no idea how great Holly Race was in his prime. Unbelievable, okay? Abdullah the Butcher's in a wheelchair now. You know, uh, I've seen Iron Cheek in a wheelchair. And it saddens me because I remember the incredible, incredible athletes these guys were. And Johnny Valiant was also an act, say to me, you know, Al Pacino could walk down the street. He puts on sunglasses and a baseball cap. Nobody notices him. But when a wrestler walks down the street, these guys are larger than life. I mean... And the charisma and, you know, wrestlers, they're, they're great athletes, they're great actors, they're, they're great performers, they're performance artists, they're storytellers. I respect the art of professional wrestling. I respect an AJ Styles as an artist. I don't like to see wrestling portrayed as a circus, you know, yep. um, I, I, I love the wrestling business, and uh, but I have a love-hate relationship with the wrestling business because it's killed so many of the guys that I've respected and even known and been friends with. It, there's a long trail of dead bodies in this business, and I always like to throw in, it's a disgrace that they don't have pensions and 401ks and health benefits. It's a, It's a disgrace. Yeah, I, you know, it, you're absolutely right. And so my question, I have two before I, I'm going to push things over to Renee. My first one is this, how, what was the biggest challenge for that health insurance to be kind of to, to incorporate that in your, in your guys' idea and your plan? I, I, I can imagine that this was probably a really tedious process with not even just health, but a lot of different type of things like that. So it was, what, was that the biggest hiccup? What was the biggest hiccup in kind of starting this idea and then um, after that, I'll, I'll ask my last one and send it over to the night owl. That's a great question. And ironically, that was not the biggest hiccup. Our uh, vice president, Howard Brody, had a connection in the business, and, and he started talking to that person about, would your company be willing to, to you know, insure these individuals? And they were kind of just going through a roundtable. And, and when he got sort of a verbal commitment on how that would work, that's when Howard came to the table and said, oh, my goodness, we've got to go ahead and do this because we have this. This is something we're going to be able to offer. I will tell you the biggest hiccup. We had a really good idea, but sometimes you get excited for something, and then it's a lot of work, and people drop off. It, 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 you know, so we had a couple individuals. We had a, a, actually more founders than the four of us, and it's just a lot of work. And they, they said for various reasons right now this isn't right for them. 
And you know, you got to get, you know, it's a nonprofit organization. It's a 501c8. And to work on a nonprofit, you have to have very dedicated individuals and just making sure we had that commitment to grind through the details to provide WrestleConnects, that was really the biggest hurdle. And once people really signed on, then, I, then it was just full speed ahead. And you're right, because I, I have worked with a lot of, in my, my business, a lot of non-for-profits. And that with time, you're right, to take out of your day to really to make this a great product. It, it, that's, I could easily see that being a huge challenge, because we all have lives at the end of the day, but... To find a team of motivated people to really push something along is is pretty pretty incredible too, and that's hard to find also. And my it last is. question, yeah, and my last question for you is just it's just going to be a simple one because I wanted to wrap it up with this for for potential you know wrestlers that are out there that are listening to this going this is something I need to explore. So you guys are just start you guys are just starting off, which I'm incredibly excited for. But my question to you is, are you guys already more? Are you guys um, confident? And um, your ease of access for your website, is it easy for people to find? Is it going to be more of a mobile feature, or is this something people need to be on their desktop for? And um, how are you going to evolve that, do you think, in the next couple of years as you see it fit? Yeah, it's a great question. And it ties into what you mentioned with Dave Marquez earlier, because one of the areas that we really, really tried to uh, explore and make sure we had commitments from were our initial group of ambassadors. Because the truth is, as much as, as the founders, we believe in it, we have to have individuals really active in the wrestling business right now to get our message out. These types of podcasts are very helpful, but we have right now five initial ambassadors, Sergeant Slaughter, James J. Dillon, uh, cheerleader Melissa, Rockin' Robin, Robin Smith, or her name, and Dave Marquez, and we need them to give us some credibility, frankly, that the, the uh, services we're providing are valuable and we're going to listen to our ambassadors as well to make them even more valuable. And we're going to be all over social media from uh, Twitter to Instagram. We have a great website. We have a great Facebook page. We don't want anyone to wonder how do I access WrestleConnects and how do I access those benefits. That's a continuously evolving area, though, and we're going to keep getting better and better at it. Wow. Wow. I, I'm honestly blown away because I, when I first saw this website, um, it was weird because um, Skywalker had just, uh, Roberts had just decided, Hey, we, I'd really like to bring, you know, um, David on. And I was, it was funny because right when I got the message, I was reading the website and I'm going, I even, I was trying to send him a message. Hey, we need to get the guy that runs this on here. And the fact <laughs> that we kind of found that um, kind of coincidentally is really cool, but I think it's just an extraordinary and what you're doing with having ambassadors, it adds a really cool, I think, check and balance feature too, where, you know, sometimes we get promotions where, um, or anywhere in the wrestling industry, you know, certain people are on management side and, you know, some people are just on the boys side and it's great to have that check and balance system where you have older experienced um, veterans in the, in the industry, you know, there to help the process and help, you know, ease communications, help make things more transparent and to get more people involved. Mm -hmm. I think that's really incredible. Um, but, you know, yeah. as much as I like to hear myself talk, Dave. Awesome, man. Well, we're going to try to do the best with the time that we have this evening. So I'm going to go ahead and get right into it. Uh, there's obviously a lot to encompass throughout your career. I'm personally very interested in everything you're doing with OVW and the, the development of the young talent in uh, today's business. But one of the things that really drew me uh, back to you as a fan was your involvement with Collar and Elbow. I've got some 
friends here in the Midwest who took advantage of collar and elbow. And, and I know you were he heavily involved with it. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about the inspiration behind collar and elbow and what your aim was when uh, you went ahead and, and kicked that thing off and started supporting it? Well, collar and elbow uh, was created by myself and my partner, Rod Hicks. Um, we wanted to um, try to give uh, wrestling fans a wrestling brand that kind of represented the passion for wrestling um, that, you know, other sports entertainment had like football, basketball, baseball, you know, football had Under Armour, basketball had Nike, uh, you know, baseball had uh, Nike, Adidas, things like that, that, uh, you know, those, those people that were fans of that could, uh, you know, buy a tire and, uh, could represent the passion. And, um, and we both felt like, you know, as grown men, we didn't want to have another man's face on our chest, um, which is what typically, uh, was typically out there as far as wrestling merchandise was concerned. Um, and to, you know, and normally when you wear, you're a fan of wrestling and you wear, you know, uh, some kind of merchandise that you're really happy with, you know, there's always some guy at an event at a public place. That's like, Hey, uh, why are you, you, you like wrestling? What do you know? That's fake. And it's like, well, thank you, Angela Lansbury. How long did it take you to put the clues together? To solve that mystery? You know? um, and so we wanted to, to create designs that were more like street fashion and were cool. And they'd have, They'd have aspects of professional wrestling in them. And if you were a professional wrestling fan, you get it, you understand it. And if you are not a wrestling fan, you just think it looks like a cool shirt. So you don't have to deal with that kind of business. You know, you can, you can still wear it and represent uh, what you enjoy. And, uh, and, you know, and it communicates to you. And then, there, you know, there's inevitably, there's always those closet wrestling fans that are out there at a party or a yep. get together that they recognize when you're wearing it and, you know, identify with it. And, you know, and it means a lot more to them as well. So um, if anybody wants to, they can go to collarandelbowbrand.com and uh, check them out. We've got, you know, we've got some sales going on right now with some of the older designs. Cause we always come out with new designs every three months. Um, so we just came out with uh, the fall design, uh, fall designs, and then we'll come out with winter ones. And, uh, and the other part of it too was uh, we wanted to kind of help out the independent wrestlers. Cause it's, you know, Lord knows it's hard enough to make a living just wrestling. Um, and a lot of guys, rely on you know selling merchandise and stuff but the the problem is is that if you're not sufficiently over as a brand yourself like if you've not gotten enough exposure you know to any certain degree with an audience it's really difficult to sell you know your own merch like t-shirts are are really a hassle and expensive to buy and and they are. um you know and to carry around. I mean, you know, and then you only, maybe you sell one or two at a show. I mean, you know, the return's tough to get. Um, so to, you know, um, it was a genius of my partner that, you know, we, any new business that the, the struggle is always to find the best and most effective way to market um, what you're doing and not spend a ton of money and so we kind of came up with a you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours type of situation where, you know, if we could get the brand itself, collar and elbow, 
recognized and get it acknowledged and get it, um, you know, really uh, over, then what we could do is, is offer to the independent wrestlers, you know, that they could make, you know, be sponsored athletes and they could uh, get a code and, and, you know, wear the, wear the uh, T-shirts, wear the apparel, um, put it up there and market it on their social media um, that they were sponsored athletes, which in turn helps them because they can now, they've got a discount code that motivates people to use it, which is a 10% off code. And then they basically, for every shirt that's sold with that code, they would get a 40% of the uh, profit, which was, turns out to be about five bucks a shirt um, uh, for each shirt sold. So, you know, if they sold a hundred shirts, they made $500 and, you know, uh, even if they sold, you know, 10 shirts, that's 50 bucks. And, you know, that could get them to the next town, you know, if nothing else. Um, so that was our hope that we could give back, uh, that way. Uh, you know, we created the, uh, roundup program for the the cauliflower alley club. Um, you know, that has been a huge charitable institution for professional wrestling and boxing for decades. And, We've been able to raise thousands of dollars for the Cauliflower Alley Club, and and uh, you know it really was all born out of just a passion and a love for professional wrestling. So. Well, I could definitely see that. And just so you know, in the first hour of tonight's show, we actually had uh, David Buckler, formerly of the CAC, on with us, and he had nothing but great things to say about you. So clearly, that the relationships oh. made through the CAC are still very, very strong. And and we're all members here: yourself, myself, my co-host yeah. Drake. We're all longtime members of the CAC, and uh, we obviously know what they bring to the table. So kudos to you for you guys have contributed because they're, they're doing big things. This year's obviously been rough on them, just like everybody else. Oh, yeah. uh, but the CAC, man, that's a special organization for sure. This is Herb Simmons, and you are listening to WrestleTalk Podcast Best of 2020. Yeah, and I know, you know, myself living in the St. Louis area, you know, professional wrestling – is like the worldwide world of professional wrestling is like a hub in St. Louis. You know, so many legends have come through St. Louis. You know, wrestling at the chase was big. And, you know, we've had such a who's who of wrestlers in St. Louis. You know, I've been to the South Broadway Athletic Club and looked at the Wrestling Hall of Fame, all those plaques of wrestlers who are still with us and unfortunately ones who are not. Um, I was mentioning with Drake when we had Sir Simply Splendid Bobby C on that, you know, my grandfather's and my cousin, she tells me about, you know, wrestling at the chase that was on KPLR 11 for plenty of years, you know, for about 24 years, I believe. Yeah, it uh, actually, uh, it was on Channel 5, uh, KSDK, for just a brief time when it first started. But then it went to uh, Channel 11 and it started on uh, wrestling at the chase, started in May of 1959. Um, and was uh, one of the top-rated uh, programs uh, that was on back in those days. And uh, as you said, all the greats, uh, uh, if you read any of the uh, legends uh, books that they have written, 99% uh, of them will tell you that uh, you made it to the big time when you wrestled in the chase at the Chase Park Plaza in the Coruscant Room because of the atmosphere of the ballroom. There was no place like it. Um, and that's been quoted uh, from the likes of Ric Flair to Harley Race, uh, uh, you know, the Pat O'Connor and uh, Gene Kaniski and Baron Von Roschke. 
anybody who stepped inside that squared uh, circle in between those ropes and wrestled in St. Louis would tell you that uh, the, the only thing that they didn't like about uh, St. Louis was the, the ring because it was hard as concrete. You know, it was interesting. You mentioned how Larry Matisic was a, such a big part, and he was, of wrestling at the chase, but he was actually not the original commentator, was he? No, there were several before him. Larry was a young man who actually uh, came up underneath the tutelage of uh, uh, the late, great Sam Muchnick, who was the uh, uh, president of the National Wrestling, Science, uh, um, wrestling Alliance uh, for uh, over 41 years. He took Larry underneath his wings when Larry was actually only about 16 years old. And, uh, you know, Larry, um, the only job he ever had was with uh, Sam Muchnick and um, went on to uh, to be the uh, announcer and then did the ring announcing at Kiel Auditorium. But, yeah, there was other. Uh, Joe Garagiola was actually the first play-by-play announcer back in 1959 when it started. Um, and then uh, Sam Miniker did a lot uh, of it over the years, and of course Mickey Garagiola was uh, one of the ring announcers. And way back in the day, Johnny Curley was one of the first ring announcers, and Eddie Gromacki, and um, you know, it just uh, a list of the who's who, as you said, in St. Louis, because it was the hub of professional wrestling for all those years. Johnny has been a one year for the Investor Talk podcast, and. My question to you is, what are your memories of 2020 for the Wrestle Talk podcast? Whoa, 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 nightmare. Appreciate the question and consideration, but dude, it's not just you and me right now. See, in 2020, the biggest thing that happened here on uh, the, the Wrestle Talk podcast, besides like Al Snow and Madman Pondo and Gangrel, of course, is that two new guests, no, not guests, former guests, new host, Jonesy, new host, the thoroughbred of lust, Drake Lee, the maestro of the microphone, Jeremy Carp, and they're going to join us right now for this final segment of the Best of Wrestle Talk 2020. So welcome the gentlemen back to the show. Jeremy, Drake, thanks for being here, man. We love you guys, and we're so happy to have you on the team. How are you guys doing? Oh, it's great being back, guys. Great being back. I can't believe this. Oh, I, no. I'm not trying to complain. I know we're supposed to be all fun and hunky-dory right now. We're all big fat. We are. We, we get along. But are you, are you kidding me? I, I, I wasn't even a part of this conversation initially for the best of moments. I mean, come on, Renee. I thank you for one time only. I thank you for finally sticking up for the guy that basically, you know, they call me the city on a hill for a reason. But, I mean, it, that's, that was almost criminal. More like the fool on the hill. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> Settle down, guys. Settle down. So, listen, I do want to uh, give everyone uh, the, the, uh, the platform here, the stage, to talk about their favorite experience of 2020 thus far. And we'll go ahead and start with the guy who actually started the Wrestle Talk podcast, the creator, the originator, the one and only Nightmare Jones. Jonesy, what you got for us? Man, you know, when I think about 2020 for the Best of Talk podcast, one of my fondest memories is uh, being able to talk with uh, Tracy Smothers for one last time. Tracy Smothers was an amazing guy, and 
you know, it was a honor and a privilege to be able to talk to Tracy Smothers. And, you know, so if you would ask me what was one of my fondest memories, I would have to say it was having Tracy Smothers on the podcast one last time. Well, Jonesy, I appreciate you sharing that. I believe, Jeremy, you wanted to go next, bro. I know you were only here for about the last quarter, all right, to the last half of 2020, but I know you really enjoyed yourself, bro. Can you talk to us about some of your highlights from 2020 right here on the Wrestle Talk podcast? Well, this is what's interesting because even though I've only been one of the co-hosts for the past, you know, last quarter of the year, you know, I've been with you guys for about about four years now. You know, I've been calling in and out of this show for years on end. But i got to be honest with you, quite frankly, to me, of all the interviews, of all the guests, i still got to go back with the interview with Herb Simmons because that wasn't so much to me like an interview, just one-on-one. It was just like two friends sitting down, you know, sharing a cup of coffee and talking wrestling. And, you know, the bond that the both of us had is something that I really enjoyed gratefully. And I will forever be thankful to have had the opportunity to interview him. And it's because of being a part of this amazing podcast with, you know, you, Joe, and you, Renee. But also, you know what, we we can't ignore the fourth man in all this. So I'm going to send it over to who I think is the voice of St. Louis wrestling, the thoroughbred himself. Drake, what you got for what you think is your favorite moment? Did you of just call me the fourth man? You are, you're the you round out the square. Oh, wow. Technically, are you going to come up with I anything mean, else? You, that's okay. Thank you, Jeremy. You are the move fourth on. Man. We'll move on. We'll move on. We'll move on. Thank you. You did a great job, ladies and gentlemen, Jeremy Carp. Best of 2020. Let's talk about everything that happened. I mean, we can't in the time frame that I have. But the best of 2020 to me, honestly, because it wasn't really just about Drake Lee. You know, what we have with with my companies is we send out feelers and we ask people, hey, what was your favorite part of of 2020 for the Rust Talk podcast? And 99% of them said Drake Lee's show that he did, the first part of 2020 is like episode 294. It was a great show because, you know, they really enjoyed it. But my favorite part, guys, was listening to Al Snow absolutely murder Renee on the Game Show Challenge. And I want to get Renee's thoughts, too, on this, because it was just a pleasure to have Al on, and it shows the hard work that, I mean, in all seriousness, the hard work that Renee puts into this, and we all do, but Renee and even Skywalker, you know, Luke Roberts, for getting that interview coordinated, because it's interviews like that that are going to, you know, put us on a stepping stone compared to everyone else, because we already have such a foundation of local interviewers and, and a lot of independent guys, but to get a name like Al Snow on the show and he's going to come back on, I know so, and, and Gangrel was just, it proved why 2020 was really the best year for Russell Talk. So, Renee, what do you think about that? What do you think about the game show challenge, Nightmare? Uh, that's what I call it, because, I mean, even though you have cheated me the last couple of times in the game show and we faced off against each other, I, I want to hear what you had to say about the Al Snow Game Show Challenge. All right. Well, I appreciate the opportunity, even though your lead-in is basically trying to humiliate me. That's fine, Drake Lee. I already know how your kind operates with your slick back hair and your fancy cars and your big money. It's okay. Listen, 
I'm a blue-collar guy. I'm not afraid to admit it. And I lost to another blue-collar guy, one of the hardest-working guys in the world of professional wrestling, the one and only OVW's very own Al Snow. It was an honor and a pleasure to be in the ring with the man and to even have the opportunity to compete against him was a privilege. Unlike you, you little weasel who's always making excuses when you take a big, fat L. Now, I do want to share my favorite moments of this year, aside from beating you in the Wrestling Talk Challenge a couple of weeks ago. So sorry, buddy. Don't cry about it. And here it is. Number one, our opportunity to support Black Wrestlers Matter. In a year where there's been a lot of animosity, a lot of anger, okay, especially from the Latino and the African-American community, we decided to do our part. I know this is something that's near and dear to Nightmare Jones's heart. Our, the fact that we were able to stand in and support Black Wrestlers Matter, put our money where our mouth is, and support those guys and sponsor those guys uh, leading into the very first show was one of the biggest honors that I think we've ever had, not only in 2020, but since the existence of the show. And the other part of it, and Joe, I'm going to have you jump in here just very, very quickly. Bro, this year we also had the opportunity to honor one of the original hosts of the Wrestle Talk podcast, the one and only Richard Rose, God rest his soul. Man, do you want to come in here for about 10, 15 seconds and drop some uh, words for, for our old brother in arms, Rick Rose? Absolutely right, Renee. Uh, you know, Rick Rose was an absolute amazing person for the Wrestle Talk podcast, and I will never forget Rick and, and the things that he did for the podcast. And I find myself going back and listening to the older episodes and, you know, just laughing about how Rick was and, and the direction that he wanted and how he had the podcast on his heart at all times. And, you know, I will always remember Rick Rose 100%. Per, per, per well, thank you for sharing that, Joe. And, and I will say, um, dude, Rick was part of the reason that I was introduced to Wrestle Talk. Uh, part of the reason that I came on for the very first time representing the FWWC. And, and let me just say that um, you know the, the FWWC has also played a big part in the Wrestle Talk podcast. I want to make sure that I give them their props uh, because Dewan Mills and those guys, 2020 and, and way before 2020, have always been huge supporters and contributors of the Wrestle Talk podcast, just like all of our awesome sponsors, right? So let me just say thank you to the world's premier fantasy wrestling promotion. As you guys know, the watch parties that we do at eSports uh, four times a year for all the big four pay-per-views are always awesome, and typically they're awesome because the members of the FWWC show up. Now, if you guys are curious about what I'm talking about, just go over to the Fantasy Wrestling tab on the um, uh, WrestleTalkPodcast.com. Uh, this is your opportunity, okay? to become a professional without actually ever stepping in the ring. We know sometimes it's a financial situation. Sometimes it's a scheduling conflict. You want to go to wrestling school, but you can't. Now, physically, you can't do it anymore for whatever disability you might have. Maybe it's a travel situation. Well, the FWWC gives you an opportunity to live out your dreams, to win championships, to compete, to be number one in the power rankings without ever having to leave your home. Again, guys, the Fantasy Wrestling tab over WrestleTalkPodcast.com, Dewan Mills, Susie Haas, Hardcore Haas, and Daniel Grimm, our general managers, have done such a spectacular job of making sure that people are engaged, they're cutting promos, they're having their matches, they're being creative. And as a matter of fact, man, I would argue that the Fantasy Wrestling Worldwide chapter is the world's premier 
fantasy wrestling promotion. Super grateful to those guys. And, of course, Rath Buns Engraving, King Cade at the Oak Park Mall, Royal Mills Transportation, I-70 Sports Media, Pat Milicic, Jay Hollywood, Everything Combat, and, of course, the lovely, beautiful green banner of I-70 Sports Media, man. We would be nowhere if it wasn't for all of you, the members of the WrestleTalk family, and all of our awesome sponsors. Gentlemen, I think it's time to say goodbye. Let's wish everybody a happy new year. Hopefully you guys enjoy the best of 2020 right here on the Wrestle Talk podcast. And we promise you 2021 is going to be off the heezy for cheesy, cooler than the other side of the pillow, and sharper than the number two pencil on test day. Guys, come on in. Let's say goodnight and wrap this puppy up. Man, on behalf of Nightmare Jones, for the Wrestle Talk podcast, we'll see you next year. This is the maestro, Jeremy Carp, and I just want to tell you all, I hope you have a happy and healthy new year. Peace and love. All right, this is Drake Lee, and I'm going to give you guys some real honest truth here. You guys have stuck through us through thick and thin. You're going to see us keep achieving, and it's achieving every day, because Russell Talk is just a thing that's going to grow and grow and grow until it can't grow anymore. And it's not because of us, even though I'd like to take all the credit I can. I mean, let's be honest, in Drake. It's because of you guys. So with that being said, enjoy your New Year's Eve. Call an Uber. And if you get drunk, don't hit anybody. A lot cheaper that way. Indeed, indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, Nightmare Jones, the maestro of the microphone, the thoroughbred of lust, the night owl, hardcore hoss, and Luke Skywalker Roberts want to wish you a very happy New Year. Blessings and good night.